Good morning. It's great to see everybody here today. Uh, as Brian said, my name is Steve Marici. I have the incredible pleasure of serving as evangelist here in the South Bay Church. That's a good thing. You guys are awesome. You know, yesterday was an incredible day on a lot of different fronts. We had a lot of things take place yesterday. Uh, we had our uh, family group leaders uh, play day picnic barbecue uh, with a wide assortment of games. Uh, it was kind of interesting seeing how competitive the parents were in particular when it came to the uh, egg toss. But uh, there was a, a young lady, she didn't win, she was the last to the, uh, second to the last one out, and that was little Britton Casillas. That girl's got an arm, man. I could not believe how impressive she was. But you know, while we're on that, where do we have all the uh, winners of the various events yesterday? Stand on up. We've got you in the mix here this morning. I would imagine a few of them are in our uh, kids' kingdom right now, but uh, it's interesting watching uh, Lori Anderson yesterday. Eddie obviously was one of the... He, uh, you won the egg toss, right? And uh, he and his son. And then uh, Lori and their daughter won the... Uh, oh, what the heck was it? The uh, three-legged race with the uh, gunny sacks and just kind of watching them. They had the rhythm down, you know, the inside legs were in at the same time, the outside legs were up in front at the same time and cranked across the finish line. But... This is a great time. And then be able to get down to the beach and see Greg restored and Monique baptized into Christ was phenomenal. And uh, most of you may be aware of it, but we did have a worship concert last night, which was absolutely phenomenal. I want to thank Brian Craig and our, our band and our worship leaders and just all the great things that they do. I know for me yesterday, a um, couple of songs, one of them uh, that I didn't even realize Brian wrote, but uh, Anchor for the Soul... And I, I always mess up on the name on this one, but it talks about 10,000 years. Reasons, excuse me. Uh, both of those songs, just, I, you know, it was funny. I was so burnt out going into that last night. I honestly didn't want to go. To be real frank with you. But I got there and it was like such a, I felt like just the, the burdens of the last few weeks, just a lot of different challenges. It was an escape for me. It was so incredible to be able to sing to God and watch these guys perform and, very, very, very grateful. But I want to start right now greeting you the way Paul would greet you. Out of Ephesians 1, verse 2, he says, May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. You know, and that's what God wants for us. And it's, it's amazing. You go through the epistles, all the letters that Paul wrote, this was a constant theme with him and everything that he did. And you know, our common vernacular would be, instead of welcoming you with grace and peace, would be, How you doing? How are you? You know, and implying hopefully that you're doing well. And with Paul, it was just incredible to see how he always took, he had that awareness of how God worked in his life and the impact of what Jesus Christ did for him personally. And basically, what he was trying to convey is, I hope that the grace and peace of God may be yours. And ultimately, for me, that's my hope for each and every one of you here this morning. Uh, as was stated, uh, we've been doing our, our grace series here for the uh, last month. Undeserved, a deeper understanding of God's grace, knowing that we don't deserve it. Uh, Jim Priestley kicked us off at the beginning of the month with indescribable, really going after God's patience, kindness, and His forgiveness. And then uh, Martin Chires did a real hard-hitting uh, message, basically on his own personal walk with God and being able to trans that, that transformation that takes place when you understand God's grace. And just really what that meant for him when it comes to 
God, our relationship with Him, and knowing that ultimately there's absolutely nothing we can do to earn it. And then my favorite, and I don't know, I probably shouldn't have them, but was last week when Brian Craig preached on grace. I just felt that he did a phenomenal job on just the infinite aspect of God's grace. It helped me with some of my own personal demons. I can feel like I have to earn God's grace, and it's by what I do, and there's absolutely nothing I can do. And that analogy that he gave of the Chilean mine workers, you know, basically having a pick and a hammer or uh, a chisel and a hammer in each hand, trying to dig their way out. And ultimately, that was, it, it really helped me see that's what I'm like when I try doing it on my own power when, when it comes to that relationship with God. And today, it's, we're talking about irresistible grace with a, the primary focus on Ephesians 5 and 6. Now, the letter, Brian tagged us a little bit last week, it's addressed to the Ephesians, those that resided in Ephesus, but Ephesus really wasn't a city per se, it was a Asia Minor, it was a letter that was probably a circular letter, too, going from town to town to town that the Christians were in. And while the believers may have had, lived in a geographic area, the thing that's so interesting about Paul's addressing them is that Paul understands they may live in a geographic place, but ultimately they reside in Christ. Paul, in this passage in Ephesians 1, verse 14, or 1 through 14, basically uses the terminology in Christ Jesus, in Christ, or in Him, throughout just those few verses, so that we can get an idea as to, you know, if we reside in Christ, what does that mean for us eternally? We'll always reside in Christ. And I think that's the thing that's so awesome about God's grace. God's grace expresses itself towards us, and that it's steadfast, this incredible love towards men, and peace that God wants us to have shows through what He's willing to do for us, and as a result of grace. It was a quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Let's see if we can, if I can get the uh, next slide. There we go. It was a speech made in uh, 1863 by Abraham Lincoln, which reads, "We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity." And we have grown in numbers, wealth and power as no other nation has ever grown. You know, the thing that's amazing to me as we read through this, isn't this today when it comes to the United States of America? But he goes on to say, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which has preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. And you know, for the first 32 years of my life, that's who I was. I loved where we live. I loved what I had. I loved my life. And early on in life, there was this acknowledgement of God, but I went through a very, uh, all I could equate it to was this period of time in the desert where it was all about me, it was all about what I accomplished being a self-made man and not seeing any need for anybody or anything. And ultimately, I, I did come to the realization as to how incredibly deceived I was, and I'm so grateful for the men and women that reached out to me, that took me to God's Word to help me understand what an awesome, loving, incredible God that we have. You know, in uh, John 1, verse 14, next slide, it reads, The Word became a human being and full of grace and truth. 
And it lived among us. And just looking at this passage, having this understanding as we go through John 1, the first book of John, it talks about how Jesus Christ being God, being the Word, being the Savior, our Mediator. And as we can see here, just the embodiment of grace and truth. That's, that's the incredible Savior that we've been blessed with. Ultimately, to be Christ-like is to be full of grace and truth. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today as we move forward. I want to give us some contrast here in the next slide to kind of walk us through what life without grace looks like. It says, the law demonstrates mankind's sin. And this is one of the things that's so irresistible about grace. Grace demonstrates God's love. Law's penalty is death. We go back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. If you lived outside the guidelines that God established, the penalty for violating certain of the expectations that God established was death. No eternal life. But we can see here, grace's gift is eternal life. Isn't that something we all want? Isn't that something that's irresistible? Knowing that we can spend eternity with God and those that we love? The law is for people of fallen creation. Again, what makes grace irresistible? Grace makes people a new creation. I mean, it was so evident in the message that Martine taught us just a few weeks back. The law seeks to change people from the outside by giving them rules. Grace changes people from the inside by giving them new hearts. That's irresistible. That's the kind of God that we've been blessed with, and that's what we have through Jesus Christ. Next slide, please. It's on. Technology. I love it most of the time. This is where you demonstrate one of the fruits of the Spirit, you know, patience. <laughs> Next slide, there we go. So the law is you trying to climb high enough to reach God. You know, and this is what was so evident in my life, even as an early Christian, thinking that by stacking one thing on another, all the different things that I was doing, that that somehow would make God feel better about me. And ultimately, God, grace is God stooping down to lift you up. You know, law says be holy, and you might get to heaven. Grace says be holy because you are going to heaven. And that, again, is what we have through God. Isn't that irresistible? Now, just moving forward here, many of you know uh, I've got this little chihuahua, which we'll see in the next slide here. Her name is Kona. She's, uh, she can be a little troublemaker from time to time. Uh, this is when we first got her. She waited, whoops, we can back up there. And then this, uh, one particular slide you can see, she's, uh, very innocent looking. Um, well, we went through it there, but, uh, she's got this thing where when it comes to treats, we, we give them these rawhide chewers that are wrapped in chicken. And, uh, it's funny, I'll toss her one and, she takes off and she jumps into her bed to hide it from the rest of the dogs at the house. And when Shailene's visiting, we have three chihuahuas. And then if I go to give another one to Bella, Jackie's little toy chihuahua, she'll run over and she'll grab at that other chewer as well. And for a moment or two, she'll have both of them in her mouth. But ultimately, she's not quite large enough to, uh, you know, hang on to both of them. And this is kind of what we've got when it comes to what Jesus represents as grace and truth. You know, I think in a lot of ways our minds don't seem big enough to really hold on to grace and truth at the same time. And it's important that we, we able, are able to embrace both. You know, I think sometimes we can go after grace 
only to drop the truth to make room for it. And we need to stretch our minds, we need to stretch our faith, we need to work out our spiritual muscles to hold them both at the same time. Finding that balance. Uh, you know, we've got, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy, the, uh, the tightrope uh, walkers. Lewindans? Yeah, you know, recently he did Niagara Falls, and he was really kind of upset about what the networks required of him to do it, and that he was kind of harnessed in. But you think about that tightrope, and him walking out on that thing, he's got what for balance? There's a super long pole that gives him a certain amount of stability as he's sitting there one foot in front of the other on that wire. Now, if that pole was cut in half and he was just holding it on his left side, how well would he do? Probably wouldn't make it across. If he was just hanging on to it on his right side, how would he do? And this is the significance of grace and truth. In order to walk in a way that will get us to heaven, that will enable us to have great impact, we need the truth for the guidelines. But we, with the, even with the guidelines, we know we violate them. And so awesome to know that we serve a God who sent us a Savior that would extend that grace to us through His blood that gives us the ability to really embrace both and move forward. You know, Amazing Grace, the song has been recorded hundreds of times by more musicians probably than any other song. And in, I know for me, uh, it's, it's some of the different secular events when there's someone that's being put to rest, they break out the bagpipes, and they, I don't know what it is, man. I just start tearing up. I hear Amazing Grace on the bagpipes, and it's just, it's wild. And, and a lot of times that takes place at these secular events where it's being sung or played. Even non-Christians respond to that song. And I think God's given this innate ability. He, he, we, he understands. Obviously, He created us. And I think as, as humans are concerned, we need grace. I mean, don't we want it from our spouses? Don't we want it from our kids? Don't we want it in, in any of the situations out there where maybe you want that relationship, but maybe you did something to damage it, but something you said or something you did, and you long for that relationship? But without grace, without forgiveness, it's not something that takes place. And just really knowing that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1.17 The world today is desperately hungry for grace and truth. I think ultimately it's because it's hungry for Jesus. But Satan does a great job with all the other distractions that we have out there to take our sight off of and our minds off of what we truly need in life. Martin Luther said that the devil doesn't care which side of a horse we fall off of as long as we don't stay in the saddle. He goes on to say, we need to mount the horse with one foot in the stirrup of truth and the other in the stirrup of grace. And ultimately, grace without truth is like driving in the mountains without guardrails. Next slide, please. How many of you guys have ever been on a one-way road in the mountains with sheer cliffs down one side of it and you've got a car coming the other way? How does that make you feel? There's nowhere to go. I mean, you may have a mile or two that you've got to back up to let the other person pass. And, you know, that's the thing that's so awesome about God in that, one, we, take, we can take a look at this. I would imagine you could probably see this here. This is the road from Jalalabad to Kabul in Afghanistan. There's a fatality, there are multiple fatalities, at least a fatality a day on this highway. The, uh, I don't know if you can see the lower stretch of road here off to the right. There's 600 meters from that curve all the way down. It's almost a vertical drop. And these guys are all crazy. They're scrambling to get to wherever they're going. They try passing these haulers, these big trucks that you can see. 
And that's an accident right there in the middle of the screen. You think, why would they have guardrails? Well, you know, maybe it's a budgetary thing, but you know, the thing that's awesome about God is He gives us those guardrails and there's no cost for it at all. I mean, how many of us would drive in the mountains even with guardrails blind? And you know, and that's what a lot of us do when it comes to life. We go through life blind. We don't understand that God's got our best interests in mind, that He's given us His Word, He sent us the Savior, we have this incredible thing called grace, and we haven't figured out how to embrace it, realizing how it can affect us in life. Truth is the guardrails in life. And here's where grace comes in. Grace is what happens when you hit those guardrails. Anybody here ever hit a guardrail? I, I saw a couple of hands there. My son did. I don't know, honestly, if that guardrail really was something that protected him in the way that he hit it. And he was getting on the freeway, it was wet pavement, and he T-boned the end of that guardrail. Not necessarily where you want to hit him. But you think about that, those guardrails. How many of you have hit a guardrail, let's say it's on a cliff, and get out of the car and I'll, stupid guardrail, you're dead in my car! Rather than kind of walking up to the edge and looking over that cliff and maybe kissing that guardrail and thank God that that's not you down there at the bottom of that gorge. But that's how this works with truth and grace. Biblical truths are the guardrails that protect us from plunging off a cliff. And again, that wise driver isn't going to be given that guardrail a bad time when he hits it. Next slide, please. Uh, we're coming out of Romans 1, verse 18. It says, God's anger is revealed from heaven against all the sin and evil of the people whose evil ways prevent them from knowing the truth. God punishes them because what can be known about God is plain to them, and God Himself has made it plain. You know, you think about this. And usually when, when it comes to God's truth, we make excuses by looking at other people in other situations. And what about these guys? And what about them? And what about the Aborigines? And, you know, how could God do this, that, and the other? And the reality of it is, how can God give Tisha a little six-month-old baby? I think God's love and what God has done is plain to Tisha and Matt. Not to mention he's black and Italian. I mean, what an incredible combination. Amen? You know, I look at the thing with the Spradlins and their little baby Peyton. You tell me they look at that baby and they don't see God? How many of you have looked at a sunset and thought to yourself, man, that is so gorgeous? And I think ultimately, if we're, we're honest about it, we realize, is this the God that we serve? This is what God has blessed us with. I remember when my kids were born. I was agnostic. My son was born. My first, this is, I, I'm adopted, so that was my first flesh and blood relative. I, I remember just weeping as I held my son. It was so awesome. And I realized at that point in time, you know, there's something bigger going on here. This, this just didn't happen. This isn't just some happenstance. This isn't some coincidence. This isn't some meteor with some bacteria on it from another galaxy that crashed into the earth. And it was so hot that the steam enabled these things to crawl off of the meteorite and then out of the water and then, you know, poof, we've got human beings. I mean, what, well, honestly, what takes more to believe? I mean, what, what, what needs more faith, that we were, we're related to trilobites or that God created us? And this, again, is the kind of God that we serve. You know, when it comes to those guardrails, they're not here to punish 
but to protect us. And we need to examine ourselves. We need to correct ourselves. We need to balance ourselves. Paul's reminding us that we are without an excuse. The truth, the guardrails are very clear. You know, the church in Ephesus was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles in Acts 19.17. And the Jews and Gentiles obviously were a little different when it came to cultural issues, cultural practices. And the church there in Ephesus, there was some cultural tension that was going on, and ethnic tension. And Paul reminds the disciples that whatever their ethnic or cultural background, they are all one people in Jesus Christ, and they all must work together for the purposes of God. Next slide in Ephesians 2, verse 3, reads, Actually, all of us were like them and lived according to our own natural desires, doing whatever suited the wishes of our own bodies and minds. In our natural condition, we, like everyone else, were destined to suffer God's anger. But God's mercy is so abundant and His love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, He brought us to life with Christ. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. In our union with Christ Jesus, He raised us up with Him to rule with Him in the heavenly world. He did this to demonstrate for all time to come the extraordinary greatness of His grace and the love He showed us in Christ Jesus. You know, we talk about things like hatred. You know, we need to hate the sin, not the sinner. You know, you think about that. No one did that. Actually, no one did either of those as well as we see when it comes to Jesus Christ, hating sin, loving the sinner. See, truth hates sin. Grace loves the sinner. And it's amazing that that's the balance that we have in Christ. That's what John was talking about in John 1. You know, when it comes to relationships, showing grace to others in our everyday lives, you know, when you leave here, you go to work, you go to school, meeting in your small groups in your home, men and women in the church, what does a relationship built on grace look like? You know, I think the thing that's key with that is the building process. You know, I've been married to Jacqueline for 28 years. We're coming up on 29 in November. <laughs> We're coming up on 29 in November. She doesn't know, so I'll just make the statement. I do know the date. It's November 17th. Um, but, you know, it is a building process. And it's one of the reasons we need to know the truth. We need to know what God's established in His Word. And that without it, we would have been divorced... 26 years ago. I mean, we, we definitely went through some shaky times early on in our marriage. And even as Christians, we all experience that from time to time. But the bottom line is, if we take it back to Jesus Christ, and we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, the fact that He died for us, He bled for us, that He ushered in a new age for us, He gives us the ability to be transformed. As we are reborn through the waters of baptism, and our sins are washed away, and we raise on up to a new life, that's what we've been given through Jesus Christ. You know, Jack and I went through a rough patch here just a couple of weeks ago. I know that's probably hard for many of you to believe. My daughter included. Just kidding. Yeah, real hard. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was interesting. We're reading this book, Apology, in our small groups. For those of you visiting with us, we, we break off during the week. We have different seasons. Sometimes we're looking at things with parenting when it comes to the marriage. Sometimes it's marriage. Sometimes it's relationships. And then we, we pull back together and we meet as a church for midweek, so everybody together from time to time as well. But 
the small group setting is awesome in that it's very intimate. Uh, we were able to build really close-knit relationships. And we're going through this book by Chapman on uh, the language of apology. Great book. Who would think that you'd bump over it, right? You know, one of the, one of the, it goes through the different languages of apology, and mine is repentance. I, I want to see the actions. But in, in a, what ended up coming out of this is, you know, one of the things that many of you have heard, one of my favorite passages this year is Colossians 3.12, where it talks about how we need to clothe ourselves. And, you know, it talks about clothing yourself with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience and, you know, all those wonderful things. And um, let's just say sometimes I'm not fully dressed. And uh, in our inner, hopefully that's not a, a bad visual for any of you here, but, you know, I heard Henry cracking up out here. <laughs> but, you know, I, just thinking that through, it was like I put this undue expectation on her because of something that I read. And it's one thing to communicate it and to strive to, to go there, but I'm not perfect. Why would I have this expectation of my wife based on her interaction? And, uh, you know, it, it took a couple of conversations, but God is good. I believe we're totally resolved, right, babe? Babe? Hey, Amen. She's paying attention to me, too. That's a good thing. But I think just thinking through that and understanding what we have through God and what God wants for us and what those relationships look like. Grace is key to unity. Grace is key to forgiveness. Grace is key to reconciliation. And isn't that not ultimately what we all want in our relationships? It is irresistible. It's something we really want to strive for. But if we don't have the understanding that the guidelines for that, the guardrails for it, are in God's Word, you know what? Some of you may have already gone over quite a few cliffs in this life. You know, and fortunately the piece has been able to be put back together, but, you know, maybe it's for such a time as this so that you can really see that doing it your way, driving the mountains blind without guardrails, isn't the way to do it. That to really get the grace that God wants us to have through Jesus Christ, we need to know who Jesus Christ is. We need to have that irresistible personal relationship with Him first and foremost. Next slide, we're coming out of Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, when it comes to Jesus, what was the basis of what He did for us? Was it just because it was something He had to do? Was it a matter of commitment? Was it based on love? See, Jesus' sacrifice was out of love. It was given out of grace, out of a desire to have a relationship with each and every one of us, even though all of us are undeserving. Living daily by grace is developing a daily, intimate relationship between you and Jesus. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 13. This in Christ, this personal relationship is one of the greatest distinctions between being born again as a child of God or not. Experiencing truth, the Word, Jesus, being able to take a look at what God has done for us personally, making that application, understanding what those guidelines are. See, that's why Christianity is not a religion. Instead, Christianity is an intimate, personal relationship between you and the living Lord. Paul really understands this, as we'll see in the next slide in Philippians 3, verse 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. 
And so, somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining on towards what is ahead, pay attention here to verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's goal in life was to grow in his intimacy and his understanding of Jesus Christ. That I may know Him. Paul found that relationship with Christ absolutely irresistible. Paul wanted to know Jesus so well that his life in this spiritually dead world would become resurrected from the dead, transformed into a new life. And Paul humbly admitted that he hadn't achieved that yet. He had not reached that spiritual maturity. And that he's, what does he state? Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. So in light of his own need to grow, coupled with the excellence of his goal, which was what? Heaven. He was able to have that kind of focus. That was the single focus of Paul's life. To run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize, which is God's call through Christ Jesus to life above. You know, I think one of the seemingly obstacles that can keep us from knowing Jesus better is our past. I don't know about you, there's a lot of failures in my past in a lot of different areas. Failures of the past can plague you with condemnation. Hanging on to other things from the past, wrongs that have been done to you in the past, can tempt you to self-pity or bitterness. And I know this is something I have to struggle with from time to time based on my upbringing. You know, do I allow those chains of the abuses that I went through as a child growing up to be the thing that color the way I conduct my life today? And here's the thing, if I'm not focused on the truth, if I don't go to God's scriptures, it's very easy for those pains from my past to be my guardrails. Needless to say, they don't work very well. You know, you've seen those guardrails that have been hit and crumpled and kind of hanging off the edge of a cliff somewhere. That's what those guardrails from the past can do. They're, They're not very effective. They don't work very well. You know, past successes, maybe you haven't had any issues in life. Maybe a few of you out there. But those past successes can give you a false assurance that, you know what? Because it's always gone well, it's going to continue to go well. Today and tomorrow. And then when it doesn't, what happens? You know, past blessings can distract you from seeking the Lord's role in your life now. And past teachings or traditions that aren't biblical truths can keep you from the truth today. They're kind of like those guardrails from the past that are kind of jacked up and a mess. They don't do what they're intended to do. And those past teachings and traditions and that sentimentality, you know, whatever it is you learn from Mimaw, can keep you from really understanding what we have in the way of truth and grace from Jesus Christ. But you see, with Paul, by the inspiration of God, Paul gives you an example of how to deal with the past. Forgetting those things behind and reaching towards what? Those things ahead. Things of the the past don't need to dominate your present. God's grace can cover past failures, past mistakes, past pains, past successes, anything that will separate you from God. But today what you need to do is you need to look forward to the next work of grace that God wants to unleash in your walk with Him today. You know, I appreciate just some of, uh, just seeing this with some of the members here in the congregation. You know, Jay Johnson and Rachel, it's just, 
it's been amazing to see their relationship blossom. All the different responsibilities that they've been willing to take on. And, you know, Jay's is just this huge, joyful guy. I mean, I've always felt that way about him. You know, I've had the opportunity to go fishing with him from time to time. I mean, you know, the first time I met him, I, I was probably intimidated a little bit. He's a little taller than me and a little bit bigger than me. I figured if I had to, I could take him. Which <laughs> I'm probably deceived. I don't want to put it to the test. Let's just leave it at that. You know, the Britos, with all the things Caesar and his wife had done through the years, the, the photo ministry, taking on a small group. I mean, this is looking ahead. This is not being stagnant. This is not staying in the same place, being complacent and feeling good about that. But when a new challenge or a new situation arises, being willing to take those steps. And you know what? God's extended grace to me up until this point in time in my life. I think maybe that he'll, he'll do it for the next stage and the next stage. He will. If we go up to that balance again of truth and grace. Paul really understood this. In the next slide, in Philippians 3, verse 14, again, he says, So I run straight toward the goal in order to win the prize, which is God's call through Christ Jesus to the life above. See, Paul understood. Guess what happens? The more time you hang out with Jesus, who do you have the potential to be more like? And you know, some of us, when it comes to our, our just our lives, you know, you may be wondering why things aren't going a certain way, why you haven't made any progress, things are stagnant. It's not that hard to assess. Who do you hang out with daily? Are you into God's Word? Or are you relying on those things from the past to be the way that you handle things today? See, if we want to grow and we want to change, we want to be more like Christ, we've got to be like Paul. Paul understood the significance of that relationship with Christ. In the next slide in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it reads, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The same thing applies to us today. The more we become like Jesus, the more we act like Him, live like Him, guess what takes place? We're able to handle everyday pressures better, in a better way. And with that, that gives us the bandwidth to love others the way that Jesus loved them. We're able to glorify Him in all the things that we do and enjoy His comfort. We're able to make wise decisions, walking in love, light, and avoiding the sins of darkness of this world, which ultimately we do live in. See, truth and grace equals God's words and relationships. I know that myself, with God's word alone, I wouldn't be able to do it. But God's blessed me with brothers and sisters with that like relationship. Jesus is the thing that's a constant with them. When I get out there in left field, you know, I've got somebody to whack me upside the head and say, dude, you know what, you need to pull out that stick and get your balance back on because you're about ready to fall off that tightrope. Now, I so appreciate all the men and women in this fellowship that have that capacity to help us when we stray, to get back on the right path. And, you know, when that happens, please have the humility to really embrace it. So I don't know about you, when, when I have to talk to somebody about something, any of you guys ever have those situations where you know you need to, but you really don't want to? And why is that? <laughs> I'll take that, Henry, but that wasn't where I was going. <laughs> yeah, it can be a hassle. You've got to drive somewhere. You've got to spend time with them. And, but ultimately, for me, I don't like making people feel bad. And... You know, you kind of run it through your head. If I say this, I say that. This is how they're going to respond, and I'm going to jeopardize the relationship. And I love my relationships. 
But you know what? What it takes on the receiving end of whatever that concern is is realizing, you know what? It's not easy for this person coming to you, maybe talking to you about your, your kid or talking to you about the way that you talk to your wife or the way you talk to your husband or something that maybe you need to apologize for in an interaction that took place in a group. It's not easy to initiate those conversations. But if we want to be more like Christ, if we've got that humility and we're willing to embrace that, guess what? We all grow and mature. And when people look to us, what do they see? They see Christ. They understand who we're clothed in. And what a difference that that can make for life moving forward. So in the next slide, Ephesians 5, verse 15, Paul understands how important this is. He says, be very careful then how you live. Why is it? Why, why this admonishment here? Be very careful. We tend to be careless? Maybe. I know I can be. You know, just ask Jackie about my driving. We're not going to spend any time on that. Moving on here. Verse 16, it says, or continue verse 15, he says, Be very careful then not how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Well, where do we get the wisdom from? God's Word. And those that we have relationships that are willing to bring it to us. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, ultimately, what happens when we depend on drugs or alcohol to get through our day? What what does it do? What, What does it usher in? Are we a little bit more careless? I mean, how many fatalities out there take place on the road because of carelessness Carelessness related to alcohol. I mean, if it messes with your, uh, your cognitive abilities, there's a problem with it. Obviously, things haven't changed a whole lot over the last few thousand years. I mean, Paul understood what an issue that was back then. So again, what we see in 15 through 18 is the truth, the guardrails, the things we need to adhere to, the things we need to look to. In verse 19, he continues, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, that, that submit. What does that mean? Well, what did Jesus do? God had expectations. God set things up. God wanted a right relationship with us. Jesus wanted that relationship, and he, was, he submitted to the direction from the Father. You know, when it comes to grace, we think about what's going on here. This sing, make music in your heart, always giving thanks to God. Just the, the heart that's behind this kind of life. It's all about grace. And ultimately, we don't deserve it. What comes through this? These times can be encouraging and uplifting. I mean, what, a, what an incredible picture of the church. When we're firing on all eight cylinders, we're helping each other in the Lord, we're studying the Bible with people, we're bringing people to Christ, we're having impact on our communities, we're meeting the needs of the poor. Isn't that an incredible picture? And this is what we have when we're willing to listen to God. No backbiting, no bickering, no gossiping, no brawling. Just a bunch of sinners saved by grace, speaking to one another with the words of God. You know, again, I appreciate our worship ministry, singing to one another. You know, giving thanks always for all things. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ because of what Jesus demonstrated for us. Ultimately, what takes place here is by orders from God Himself, your assigned goal is to know Jesus better. And to know Him better and better every day. Not what you've been told about Jesus, but what you really know about Jesus through God's Word, the Bible. We need to press on toward the goal using every ounce of the spiritual strength and energy that God's grace supplies us with. 
you know, to press on to a fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ, which will give us the ability to weather any storm moving forward. And really understanding that it's not about commitment. It's about a relationship. Do we have anybody in the audience dating right now? Nobody wants to admit to that? <laughs> okay. I do know we have a few of you that are married in the, married out there that have dated before, right? And still date within the realm of marriage. Amen. Just thinking through that. When, when you met that, that person, you know, this incredibly beautiful woman's here sitting in the second row. One on the far, to my right. Jack, raise your hand so we're clear on this. <laughs> you know, the reality of it was, I didn't start going out with her because I was fired up about being committed to her. Why did I start going out with her? Within a very short period of time, I realized I love this woman and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And because of that love for her, that gave me the reason to be committed to her. And that's what Jesus wants. It's not about a commitment. I mean, how many of you are fired up about any form of commitment? Fired up about being committed to the gym? No. Fired up about cardio? No. I hate cardio. I like it a little bit better now that I'm out on a road bike every once in a while. I mean, we fired up about being committed to work? Maybe some of you. I know my daughter every once in a while will be like, Daddy, I can't believe I get paid to do this. But, you know, that's not most of us. I mean, I wish it was, it was all of us. We had that ability. But, you know, when I hear commitment. I'm thinking, man, you know what? Commitment sounds like work. I mean, isn't that usually the case? When I think love, you know, I think, woo! I mean, you know, it's a whole different thing. It's not a negative for me. And I think some of us, when it comes to our walk with God, that's what we see. It's, it's a commitment. Yeah, I'm committed to Christ. Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I own a Bible. And it's work. But you know what, guys? We, we can get to that kind of relationship that Paul has. It's so much more than a commitment. And Jesus understands that. Jesus was willing to die for that. He loved us so much, he was willing to shed his own blood so that we could have a relationship with God. Hebrews 4, verse 16, in the next slide here. Two more verses. It says, Let us have the confidence then and approach God's throne where there is grace. There we receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. I mean, this is such an awesome passage. All the grace that you ever needed wasn't used up on the day that you were baptized. And I think some of us feel that way. So, you know, you, you come out of the water, your sins are forgiven, you're clean, you're new, you're pure, you're transformed. And then, you know, within a few hours of the next day, you blow it. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> exactly. Dang it. How you saw that up? It's gone. That's not the case. What, what, what does God say here through the author of Hebrews? They will receive mercy and find grace to help us just when we need it. I don't know about you. I have this feeling I'm going to probably need it all of my life. It's going to be needed through my life over and over. And Jack, you'll probably add a few more overs and overs to it as we move forward here. But the bottom line is you will need it. You know, when you sin once and again, you're going to need forgiveness. You'll need it when you fail. And once again, need strength and encouragement. You'll need it when you lack wisdom and seemingly the insolvable challenges that you're faced with in life. 
You'll need it when temptation looks too good and too strong to resist. And you'll need it when granting forgiveness to another seems almost impossible. And you'll need it when your motivation and your desire to serve God is almost gone. I want to close with a story that uh, Brian Craig brought to my attention, which is just an incredible demonstration of grace. This is a true story. It's about a woman by the name of Victoria Ruvalo. It says that she can tell you about random pain. On November 24th, or on an evening in November 2004, this 54-year-old New York was driving to her home in Long Island. She had just attended her niece's recital and was ready for the couch, a warm fire, and relaxation. She doesn't remember seeing the silver Nissan approach from the east. She remembers nothing of the 18-year-old boy leaning out the window, holding, of all things, a frozen turkey. He threw it at the windshield. The 20-pound bird crashed through the glass, bent the steering wheel inward, and shattered her face like a dinner plate on concrete. The violent prank left her grappling for life in the ICU. She was actually in a coma for over a month. She survived, but only after doctors wired her jaw, fixed one eye by synthetic film, and bolted titanium plates to her cranium. She can't look in the mirror without a reminder of her hurt. You know, we, we think through this. Retaliation, in some ways, because of our sinful nature, has an appeal. But Jesus has a better idea. Since I, the Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to watch each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. John 13, 14 through 15. To accept grace is to accept the vow to give it. And Victoria Rivola did. Nine months after her disastrous November night, she, faced, she stood face to titanium, bolted face with her offender in court, Ryan Cushing. He was no longer the cocky, turkey-tossing kid in the Nissan. He was trembling, tearful, and apologetic. For New York City, he had come to symbolize a generation of kids out of control. People packed the room to see him get his comeuppance. The judge's sentence enraged them. Only six months behind bars, five years probation, some counseling and public service. The courtroom erupted. Everyone objected. Everyone that is except Victoria Ruvalo. The reduced sentence was her idea. The boy walked over and she embraced him. In full view of the judge and the crowd, she held him tight, stroked his hair, he sobbed and he spoke. And she said, I forgive you. I want your life to be the best it can be. She allowed grace to shape her response. God gave me a second chance of life, and I pass it on, she says. But I hadn't let go of that anger I'd been consumed with by the need for his revenge. Forgiving him helps me move on. Her mishap led to her mission. Volunteering with the county probation department, I'm trying to help others. But I know for the rest of my life, I'll be known as the turkey lady. She said it could have been worse. He could have thrown a ham. <laughs> In which case, I'd be Miss Piggy. <laughs> Victoria Ruvalo knows grace. And I think this thing we've got to ask ourselves this morning. Do I really know grace? Do you really know grace? Grace has happened to you. Look at your feet. They're wet. They're grace-soaked. Your toes and arches and heels have felt the cool basin of God's grace. Jesus has washed the grimiest parts of your life. He didn't bypass you and carry the basin towards someone else. If grace were a wheat field, he's bequeathed you the state of Kansas. Can't you share your grace with others? Grace is not blind. It sees the hurt full well. But grace chooses to see God's forgiveness even more 
that refuses to let hurts poison the heart, see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many, Hebrews 12:15. Where grace is lacking, bitterness abounds. Where grace abounds, forgiveness grows. Final slide here in Ephesians 6, verse 24. So we look at what Victoria Rubelow went through. This needs to be our anthem. When we've blown through the guardrails of truth, this is what we must remember. When we're tempted, when we're at our weakest, most embarrassing moment of selfishness and failure, we need to come to God for grace. We must come quickly, boldly, repeatedly. It's something we have to do over and over and over again. And we'll not be disappointed because there at His throne will be that fresh supply of grace whenever we need it. Amen? Grace to help us in our hour of need, to correct our course and to stay on the right path. Irresistible grace to extend to others. Ephesians 6, verse 24. It says, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And that's exactly what my hope and prayer is for each and every one of you this morning, is that we will grow in grace and we will grow in truth. Grace comes through the relationship. And the relationship comes through the Word. And that relationship, if we really understand what it is, is irresistible. You know, if you're visiting with us and you're a little curious about what those guardrails really are and what that truth really is, so that you can really get grace that is grace. I mentioned earlier that we have small groups throughout our church where you can get together with people and open the Bible together and discuss the things that you look at and really help come to an understanding of what grace is. I mean, how many of you that are part of the church can open the Bible with someone and show them those truths, show them those guardrails? Let's go ahead and raise your hands. So take a look around, guys. Keep those hands up. You're probably sitting next to someone. If you've got those questions, that can open that Bible with you and show you exactly what God has in store for us. So just in closing, let's strive to love Christ and others the way that he has loved each and every one of us. God bless.